Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Pushing for proof of vaccination. We don't want a fourth wave. We can't afford another economic shutdown. Growing calls to separate the vaccine haves and have-nots. Reopening roadblocks. We're about 45,000 people short in the industry right now. The hospitality sector is set to welcome back Americans slowly. And Chinatown unmasked. It's like a war zone. It's like escape from New York out here. The deepening crisis in Vancouver's historic neighborhood. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. The Surrey Board of Trade has added its voice to the calls for a Canada-wide model for people to prove they have been vaccinated against COVID-19. John Hua has the details, including a decision by Vancouver International Airport that shows just how uncertain the business sector is about the issue. Whether it's enjoying a meal inside a restaurant or moving into university residence. If we really want to put an end to this pandemic, is it time? People outright prove it. That means uh, showing some type of proof of immunization card uh, to enter venues, uh, to enter concerts, uh, to enter businesses. The Surrey Board of Trade is calling on the federal and provincial government to institute a nationwide proof of vaccination policy. Beautiful migraine is good. Following the lead of provinces like Manitoba and other countries like Italy and France. It's mixed messaging. I mean, is vaccination really important in order to live your life during this pandemic? We're facing an economic crisis. For BC businesses, it's about maximizing client capacity while minimizing COVID-19 variant concerns. I think everyone should be vaccinated to come to UBC if it's in person. That's, that's the bottom line. On campus at UBC, the student union is pushing for proof of at least one dose to be accepted into student housing, similar to Ryerson and the University of Toronto. We just sensed that there was a significant amount of discomfort in returning to campus this fall. But asking for proof will likely come with some pushback. Even pictures of separate lines for vaccinated and unvaccinated travelers flying into Vancouver International Airport sparked outrage online. With passenger processing times relatively the same, YVR decided to take a step back. We've heard feedback. We've talked to all of our agency partners and the other airports involved, and we've made that shift. Um, And so right now when people come in, they'll all be processed through the same manner. The Surrey Board of Trade blaming BC's piecemeal approach, which has left businesses who believe in mask and vaccination policies to police it themselves. All they're doing is trying to protect their employees. They're trying to protect their workers. Without clear direction from the very top, Hubberman says all this proves is government isn't doing enough to finally put this pandemic behind us. John Hua, Global News. 
And there is good news and not so good news when it comes to our COVID-19 numbers. That uptick continues. But the number of people in hospital has improved. We have 267 new cases over the last three days, 94, 79 and 94. There are 695 active cases in B.C. with 43 people in hospital, 17 in the ICU. Sadly, we've had one more death. Now, on the vaccine front, 80.6% of people aged 12 and older have received their first dose of vaccine, while 61.3% have received both doses. And today's case numbers reflect a trend that began about a week ago. An increasingly high proportion of those cases have been found in the Interior Health Authority. Over the weekend, 155 cases of COVID-19 were found in Interior Health. That's 58% of the total cases, even though just 18% of the population resulted in that health authority. The Delta variant, which, as we know, is extremely transmissible, is now the dominant variant in the interior, and that could help explain the rapid growth of cases there. Well, the countdown has begun to the August 9th reopening of Canada's borders to fully vaccinated Americans. The question now is, will we be able to handle the visitors? As Amadagahi reports, the hospitality industry finds itself in the unusual position of hoping things don't get too busy. Walk into any restaurant and what you're likely to see are some of the most sought-after workers in the province right now. We're desperately looking for extra staff. Uh, I could probably hire about 80 staff in the company-wide today. Imad Yacoub runs a handful of high-end restaurants in downtown Vancouver and says on a recent Friday night he could have used 20 more kitchen staff. The demand to dine out as people are vaccinated happening at the precise moment when the hospitality industry is seeing a massive labor shortage. You're looking at uh, is that front of house, everywhere, of house? everywhere, kitchen, <laughs> everywhere, yeah. like everywhere, every position needed to be filled up. I know people that work in construction, left us from our kitchen working in the construction. So it's going to take a long, long time to rebuild the trust and getting people in the jobs that they like. Up until now, it has taken some creativity for restaurants to get by with the limited workforce. Some restaurants now are having to close maybe certain days of the week or reduce their hours uh, throughout the week, keep their menus a little bit less complicated to accommodate the fact that we're about 45,000 people short in the industry right now. Now comes the wild card of American tourists after the border opens to fully vaccinated U.S. citizens and permanent residents on August 9th. But whether they may flock to Vancouver like they used to is still up for debate. And if you're coming up for two days and what does the test cost, you know, $200 U.S. add to your trip, are people going to come up? I don't think so. I think this is, I think we're a little bit early here. We're, we're sounding the yay, 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 but I don't know if it's there yet. So what restaurants and hotel owners are left hoping for is a steady increase in business and for thousands of workers to trust the jobs available in this COVID-19 depleted industry won't be cut again if the pandemic somehow takes the wrong turn. Emadagahi, Global News. Well, despite the mountain of evidence that COVID-19 vaccinations work, the people who oppose them aren't giving up their battle against science. A few dozen anti-vaxxers gathered today at Sunset Beach in Vancouver for the latest of a a series of so-called 
freedom rallies. They say this party protest is scheduled to go until midnight tonight. And while COVID-19 cases rise in B.C., vaccination rates are slowing down in the province. But family doctors believe those immunization numbers could spike again if they are allowed to deliver shots to their own patients in their own offices. Richard Zussman explains. It could be the prescription to increasing vaccination rates in B.C. Family doctors administering the COVID-19 shot. We'd love to see is... Uh, vaccine actually in family doctors' offices uh, so that family doctors can take that next step with their patient. I dread the time if I talk to a patient and then I worry about will they go away and read something else and then change their minds. Right now, BC doesn't allow it. Alberta does. Although British Columbia is still a global leader when it comes to COVID immunization, those getting their first dose is slowing. Two months ago, the province was at 62% for those 12 and older, up to 77% by the end of June, and now slowly up to 81%. You know, at this point, trying to get and squeeze out more gains past this point, you know, it takes it takes more and more effort to do that. Doctors here have been told to expect a larger role in the fall. That could include vaccinating those under 12. The majority of childhood vaccines are given by family doctors. We're very comfortable talking with parents uh, and other caregivers about the safety and the effectiveness of vaccines. Where family doctors have the advantage over mass clinics is when it comes to that personal relationship. And doctors say that when they can engage people about their hesitancy, they can often convince them to get the shot. I'm getting through to about 99% of my patients. My patients who come in and they have their questions, they trust me. It's still unknown what BC needs for community immunity. A recent poll shows hesitancy in the province is wearing off. 24% of respondents in January said they'd be unwilling to get a COVID shot. Now it's 12%. There are still some that have questions and they feel very comfortable in coming to us and asking us their questions and having honest discussions. But the worry still is the longer people wait to get that first dose, or even the second, the more likely it is that variants like Delta could drive outbreaks. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Long-term care homes were hit hardest during the first two waves of the pandemic. And now a new poll shows a majority of Canadians want the system overhauled. But as Grace Key reports, advocates say making major changes will not be easy. The loss of life and isolation at long-term care facilities during COVID has left a lasting impression on Canadians. An Angus Reid poll finds just under half would avoid ending up in long-term care. 44% dread the thought. 22% are saving up for in-home care. Our population is only aging. So as a result, I think this is an issue that's really horrified a lot of Canadians. And then they think not only about their loved ones, but of themselves. As for private care, three in five say it should be minimized or phased out. BC Care Providers points out Quebec, mostly government-owned and operated, and Ontario, more private for-profit, were both hit hard during the pandemic. In BC, it's made up of one-third for-profit, one-third not-for-profit, and one-third government-run. I think Canadians, you know, hear uh, particularly from the Ontario uh, situation, and they generalize that uh, across the country. But the model here in British Columbia has been working very well, uh, providing very good care. When it comes to change, top priorities include more staff, more inspections, and more buildings with modern residences. I think we need to raise the wages of our of staff in long-term care. We need to increase 
the number of staff in long-term care, we need to give a stronger voice, a more cohesive voice to residents and family members in long-term care. There need to be consequences for operators who consistently and persistently fail to meet their regulatory requirements. Out of all the provinces, British Columbians are the most willing to pay, with three in five saying they're okay with a 2% increase in personal taxes. While many believe significant change is needed, few are confident it will happen. But some advocates are optimistic, saying the province is making positive steps toward change. Grace Key, Global News. Significant growth on the Incomeep fire between Oliver and Soyuz, but crews still can't get an accurate picture of exactly how big that blaze is. The smoke causing complications for firefighters and residents. Next on the News Hour. Tempers flare at Ferry Creek. How RCMP are turning the tables on logging protesters later. Also tonight, real estate record. The Point Grey mansion that just made history. Right now, though, on the wildfire front, the number of active fires burning across the province is down slightly tonight. And exhausted firefighters are celebrating some victories. But the weather forecast for the coming week still offers little relief and smoky skies and pollution are a growing concern. Jennifer Palma has the latest. The White Rock Lake Fire northeast of Merritt is creating smoky skies. The out-of-control blaze is an estimated 12,500 hectares with evacuation orders and alerts in place. And start doing that work of reinforcement where they're taking fuel away from the guard line back to the head of the fire. We are all very anxious. Uh, we don't know where this fire is going to go. So, you know, you do have part of the fire affecting Douglas Lake, part of the fire affecting Westwald, and part of the fire affecting us. In BC, there are 250 active fires burning and almost 40 fires of note. One of those, the Bunting Road fire west of Maple Lake, northeast of Lumbee. It's 3,000 hectares and 66 properties are on evacuation order. Smoke is filling the area. The Thomas Creek wildfire is 7,200 hectares, but is growing. They're anticipating having 90 Canadian Armed Forces members on the ground tomorrow to fight the blaze. And more good news, fire crews managed to save a structure. You know, after the fire moved through the area, the cabin was still standing. So if you've ever been around a crew when they've lost an objective, it's devastating for them. They take it very personally. I was very excited for them. Burning a swath of land, the massive Sparks Lake blaze. It's out of control and estimated to be 58,000 hectares where hundreds of properties are on evacuation order and many more on alert. There's a lot of timber, um, steep terrain, wind driven and just these hot, dry conditions. And the weather is showing no sign of letting up as crews from as far away as Mexico are in B.C. to help get wildfires under control. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Good to have that help here. All right, the Incomeep Creek wildfire burning near Soyuz is still showing a lot of fire activity. Global's Lauren Pullen joins us live from Oliver with the latest on the firefight. Uh, Lauren, wildfire officials say it has grown significantly, but they're having a tough time figuring out exactly how much. Uh, good evening, Sophie. And it is because of the heavy smoke. You can see how smoky it is behind me here. 
It has been impossible for those crews to get an accurate measure of just how big this fire is right now and how much it has grown. They do tell me there has been significant spread, especially on the north end of the fire here in Oliver, where I am. But a big sigh of relief for some homeowners on the south end, down by Asuyus. Just over two dozen homeowners have been allowed back into their houses after being forced out for several days. Evacuation orders there downgraded to alerts. And we were able to actually get up close enough to see some of the aftermath of the charred out areas that have just been torched by flames and while the fire has already torn through a large area in this region Sophie crews are working tirelessly on the fire line still 24 7 as there is still a lot of fire here left to fight I haven't really seen the typical kind of um, lessening of fire behavior in the evening so we've had to you know tried to be as strategic as we can be with the resources we have to, to cover that 24-hour period. But definitely the influx of assistance from Mexico is, is going to help us in the next few days. Nobody here needs me to tell them how dry, hot, and windy it is, but we know that's going to continue. You know, there's no precipitation in the near future. We are barely halfway through our wildfire season at best, and I agree with Councillor that was speaking. You know, together we can do this. Just This is life and death situations for our first responders and the public. All right, Lauren, uh, you have actually seen firsthand just how unpredictable that fire behavior can be. Sophie, we were out getting some footage of some of the burnt out areas that you saw a bit earlier there. And we actually stumbled upon a spot fire that flared up right when we were there. Wildfire crews arrived within moments incredibly fast and they knocked down that fire within minutes as well. Again, they really have been working tirelessly, throwing everything they can at this fire. And more resources are now here. Sophie, those 101 firefighters from Mexico landed in the Okanagan last night and are expected to be in action in the next few days. Sophie? Not a moment too soon. All right, thanks for that. Lauren Pullen reporting in Oliver for us tonight. Now, while crews are getting the upper hand on a number of the wildfires in B.C., air quality in some parts of the province is deteriorating. Communities socked in by smoke. Residents in the interior and crews fighting to save infrastructure from the flames are especially affected. People with risk factors are advised to keep an eye on the air quality index and take precautions. Someone who has asthma, for example, needs to watch out for worsening of their asthma. Similar for people with heart conditions, we recommend limiting activities for people with risk factors. And so those people are people with um, heart or lung conditions, um, people who are pregnant, uh, the very young and the very old. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more. Christy, there's no smoke down here on the lower mainland yet, but that could change with higher temperatures expected later this week. Yes, that definitely is a possibility as the ridge is set to develop through the interior regions. We could start to see some outflow, but really that's not really the biggest concern. I'm more concerned actually about the fires that are currently burning. As we start to see this heat push in, uh, those fires could burn with more intensity and we could see an increase in the number of new fires burn, burning. Here's a look at the special weather statement, which was issued by Environment Canada. It now includes coastal regions as well. Although the hottest temperatures will be in the interior where we'll likely see temperatures in the high 30s and this heat wave or mini heat wave is supposed to start on Wednesday and last right through until Saturday. The hottest day though will likely be Friday and Saturday so we'll be tracking this closely as will we be tracking the smoke and whether that will push out towards the coast. All right thanks for that we'll touch base with you in a little bit Christy thank you. 
Coming up, fear the writing is on the wall for Chinatown. Probably within a year, there will be a Chinatown with no Chinese at all. Battered by the pandemic and anti-Asian racism, the communities struggle to survive. Plus, as borders reopen, how travel medical insurance is more important now than ever before. Well, some Canadians are starting to plan for international vacations again, and that means figuring out travel insurance in the COVID era. Consumer Matters reporter Andrewa is here with more on the changing requirements and why vaccinations matter. And Thanks, Sophie. As we emerge from the pandemic, insurance companies are updating their policies as they unravel what the next phase of travel will look like. And there are differences for fully vaccinated and unvaccinated travelers. If you are vaccinated, experts say most travel insurance policies are starting to offer COVID coverage in the event of a medical emergency. Vancouver-based Goose Insurance says it's following Health Canada guidelines to ensure the most adequate medical coverage. Travelers who are double-dosed for at least 14 days or those who have had a first dose and are awaiting a second shot will be eligible, but anyone who is unvaccinated by choice will not be covered under the policy. Consumers are also advised to review their policies regarding pre existing medical conditions. That's really critical um, to understanding what those policy limitations are and what will cover and what will not cover uh, and what the stability periods are. Um, and also, what is their um, network like and what is their claims process like? Um, you would want to work with, a, you would want to buy a policy from a provider that actually has a pretty uh, a large global network that, God forbid, if you are in any kind of medical emergency, um, that you know you can easily make a claim. Do not travel without travel medical insurance. It's the biggest risk that you're putting yourselves into, especially in today's world where, you know, we still haven't come out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and it's just a risk that can you can easily cover yourself for a few dollars. Uh, and it's really not worth it to come back home with a big, huge financial bill. And you'll also want to check the requirements for entering certain countries. Cuba recently opened up travel to Canadians and since 2010s, it has required all foreign visitors to have travel insurance that must now include coverage for COVID-related medical emergencies. And it's important to note that regular travel insurance is for non-medical coverage like baggage, trip cancellation and interruption or unforeseen events. COVID-19 is not currently considered an unforeseen event and would not be covered. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks for that, Anne. Well, Vancouver's Chinatown has experienced many changes since it was established more than 130 years ago. While the historic neighborhood was already in decline before COVID-19, the lack of tourists during the pandemic has posed new and urgent challenges. Tonight, in the first of a three-part series, Kristen Robinson looks at the crisis on the ground. In here, they, they always put a board up and fence it off so that become more like a living quarter. Behind the Chinese Cultural Center, Fred Kwok shows us the mountain of trash and human waste. Oh, that would be like this for a whole year. Alleys awash with graffiti, storefronts tagged in the heart of Chinatown. It's sad to see all this. In a way, it's heartbroken to see people being driven away. Customers scared and merchants on edge, says the Chinese Benevolent Association president. After a spike in anti-Asian attacks, and surge of street disorder during the pandemic. Only a Chinese store got targeted, like including graffiti, vandalism, broken glass. Some, like Michelle Lowe's event boutique, 
barely survived. Feel very sad to see Charatang get worse and worse compared to 20 years ago. For others, it was untenable. Many Chinese-owned shops that were considering closing pre-COVID were driven out in 2020, according to the local BIA. Newer businesses left to battle for their turf. Even if the kids die, nothing's going to happen. Philip Chang set up his dental practice on Main Street in 2015. He's seen it all outside his front door, which is now locked during the day. It's like a war zone. It's like escape from New York out here. It's crazy. Many established merchants simply stand by, he says enduring the decay, desecration, and violence. Chinese people are very polite, passive people, especially these older Chinese people. They're not going to have confrontations with crazy, drugged-out people. They just, they put up with it. Two months after moving in next to the cultural center, this Chinese medicine practitioner's windows were smashed. Undeterred, he's trying to counter crime with compassion. I often come out and I serve tea to people who are around here using their drugs. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, we need to have other agencies involved so that it isn't a, a hazard for patients. The writing on the wall, the most vicious circle. Probably you got a window of a few hours and then the graffiti go back up. Kwok says merchants have been fined for not cleaning this up, even though it reappears almost as soon as it's removed. The whole thing is being orchestrated to trash Chinatown as much as you can. If we're going to call Chinatown a heritage site with Sun Yat-sen Gardens and all that, then we should put some money into taking care of it. If nothing improves, says Kwok, the future is bleak. Probably within a year, there will be a Chinatown with no Chinese at all. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And tomorrow on the News Hour, we'll hear from the city of Vancouver and the mayor about the crisis in Chinatown and take a look at why the historic neighborhood seems to have been forgotten when it comes to federal emergency relief funding. Things are heating up at the Ferry Creek blockade. You're under arrest! The ugly confrontation and why protesters are on the defensive. Also ahead, an historic day for Canada at the swearing-in of the nation's 30th Governor-General. Traffic smooth along Highway 1 across the Portman Bridge. We do have reports of a crash in Langley, though, Highway 1 westbound near 248th, so prepare to wait if you're leaving Abbotsford. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. In Global One, I'm Tim May. It's been almost a year since the first protests began at the Ferry Creek watershed on Vancouver Island and things got heated over the weekend. More than a dozen people were arrested and as Kylie Stanton reports, the anti-logging protesters were put on the defensive for cutting down trees themselves. What was meant to be a peaceful picnic quickly devolved into this. Another 16 people were arrested Saturday as part of the continued enforcement of the B.C. Supreme Court injunction in the Ferry Creek watershed area. People were there, you know, wanting to practice civil disobedience on public roads. We have the right to pass. Earlier in the day, officers were met by a group of seniors trying to get through the RCMP exclusion zone to peacefully protest, only to be told they couldn't due to ongoing police action. Nobody's going to be permitted to access past these vehicles. Those here calling it illegal, 
citing a B.C. Supreme Court decision last Tuesday, saying the RCMP's broad exclusion zones and checkpoints are not justified under the injunction. It's impairing our rights to be peaceful demonstrators. With tensions on the rise, many pushed through. Chants broke out, then the violence. Police released an update over the weekend. 18 living trees had been cut down with chainsaws and felled across the road, blocking vehicle access. One protester on a tripod structure was also seen smoking a cigarette in the dry and tinder forest. Superintendent John Brewer said it's only a matter of time before someone, whether a fellow protester, supporter or police officer, is seriously injured. While the rainforest flying squad called the smoking unfortunate, it defended falling the trees. When we you know, cut down a few trees for some construction purposes uh, uh, to make sure that people are safe and not sitting on rotten poles. Um, in, in the efforts to save the old growth, um, then, then that is our rationale for that. As for the seniors, they did reach a compromise, eventually getting through, but only to Avatar Grove. It's going to be a good day. I, I hope it's a lot of fun for everybody. With the one-year anniversary of this standoff quickly approaching, protesters say they're more committed than ever. And their voices will only get louder. Patty Stanton, Global News. Rally was held in Vancouver today for the Indigenous man who was killed in a police shooting in Campbell River earlier this month. Dozens of people gathered at Victory Square this afternoon demanding justice for Jared Lowndes, the Wet'suwet'en First Nations man who was fatally shot by Mounties July 8th. Police say Lowndes got into an altercation with officers when they tried to stop him on an outstanding warrant. A police dog was also killed in the incident. Demonstrators are echoing the calls from many Indigenous leaders for a public inquest into Lowndes' death. Having an outstanding warrant and dying because you have an outstanding warrant is not truth and reconciliation. And I believe the RCMP can do better. I believe like as a country we can do better in our relations with the Indigenous, with the indigenous people of this land. And I think this is just a glaring example of how we are failing. BC's police watchdog is investigating and says it could take a few months before they release their findings. Mary Simon has been sworn in as Canada's 30th Governor General. On the strength of those Governors General who served before me, I commit to Canadians that I will move forward with humility and purpose to meet this moment in our shared history. That you will well Simon, an Inuk leader and former Canadian diplomat, is the country's first Indigenous person to hold the role. During the ceremony, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said her installation is important to help build bridges and bring people together. Despite the generally positive response, Canada's Commissioner of Official Languages says he has received hundreds of complaints about Simon's inability to speak French fluently, a language she again committed to learning after being sworn in. Housing, or a lack thereof, can take a toll on one's mental and physical health. And today, Ottawa announced it's expanding the federal rapid housing program with millions of dollars in new funding slated for Vancouver. Nearly $31 million of the $1.5 billion pie announced today will be streamlined to support rapid housing pro projects in the city. The money will create 65 new permanent affordable units with additional funds given to support three housing projects. 
Organizations approved under the Rapid Housing Program must have the units ready within 12 months or less. This new funding in the second round of the Rapid Housing Initiative will support the creation of over 65 new permanent and affordable housing units for people living in precarious housing situations and those who are either experiencing homelessness or who are at risk of experiencing homelessness. We have made good progress, but there's still much more to do. We have worked hard to come together and deliver unprecedented investments in housing for those experiencing homelessness and those living precariously. But we're going to continue working, continue advocating, and continue fighting until we get our housing crisis under control. Still to come, a birthday surprise for a Second World War veteran. My sister just sent out an email and I went, oh, they're never going to do anything. How the Snowbirds paid him a special visit, and that's not all. Plus, the Vancouver mansion that sold for below asking and still smashed a record. It's Pride Week and the city of Vancouver has kicked it off with the official flag raising ceremony at City Hall. The transgender and the progress pride flags going up on the north lawn of City Hall signaling the start of week-long celebrations. Two spirit flags combined with pride and trans flags are being flown at 12th and Camby in support of Vancouver's diverse and evolving queer community. Dear fellow queers, this city is for you and this week is for you, no matter who you are. If you're a two-spirit, if you're indigiqueer, if you're black, if you're a person of color, pride is for you. If you're trans, if you're non-binary, if you're genderqueer, pride is for you. If you are disabled, if you're a refugee, if you're poor, if you're fat, if you're ace, arrow, agender, pansexual, bisexual, intersex, lesbian, gay, or questioning, Pride is for you. It has been 40 years since Pride Week was first proclaimed in Vancouver. Because of the pandemic, this year's Choose Your Pride celebration will, much like last year, offer a mix of both in-person and virtual events. And hopefully we can get back to the in-person Pride events next year. Looking forward to it. All right. Meteorologist Christy Gordon back uh, with a look at that forecast. As you said, things are going to heat up, Christy. Yeah, so big concern not only for the current fires that are burning, Sophie, because with heat you get more intense fires, but also uh, the fire danger rating is so high, so we increase that or we dry it out even further and we could get more fires being ignited. I want to show you a glimmer of hope, though, for the southeastern corner of the province. This is where we sit right now. You can see moisture across the northern regions. That's been the pattern for many weeks now. And right through this week, we're not expecting any rainfall across southern BC, but towards late Sunday, there's a chance that southeastern corner could get a bit of moisture. Still days away, still too early to get too excited, but there's a glimmer of hope. In the meantime, though, before Sunday, that's when we're going to see this heat wave. And that's huge concern, not only for heat-related illnesses, but for the current fire situation. It starts on Wednesday and is going to last right through until Saturday, with likely Friday and Saturday being the two hottest days areas in the interior. We'll likely see high 30s. We're talking about 38, 39. Now, in terms of the smoke forecast for tomorrow, we're going to continue 
continue with the same situation that we have for many days, pushing that smoke off into Alberta. Lucky times for the south coast area. But as we head throughout the week and the interior reach of high pressure builds, that could likely change. So we'll be tracking that very closely. As that heat shifts, we could start to see outflow winds. In the meantime, you can see cloud cover in through the interior. That's actually smoke, widespread smoke from Kamloops through the Columbia and the Kootenai region. South coast, though, continues with sunshine. Lucky times, but it is going to get hot. Areas away from the water come late week in the low 30s. Tonight's central windows weather window from Kamloops. And I like this combination of the blue sky and the smoke. I don't like the smoke clearly, Sophie, but it's just a nice picture. Thanks to Joshua for that one. It's nice to see a little bit of blue sky in amongst the smoke. All right. Thanks, Christy. Well, the real estate record for a single detached home in Vancouver has been smashed. The Belmont estate in Point Grey was sold earlier this month for $42 million and the new owner paid entirely in cash. The estate was owned by Joseph and Rosalie Siegel and was originally listed for $58 million. It was purchased by a numbered company whose sole director is Peter Chung. Chung runs Primacorp Ventures. The 22,000-square-foot mansion has five bedrooms and 12 bathrooms. I've never understood. Like, shouldn't there be a... An equal number of bedroom to bathroom. bathroom ratio. Maybe they invite people over who really got to go a lot. I guess. They, each house guest gets their very own bathroom. Something like that. They don't get their very own bed, but they do get their yeah. very own bathroom because <laughs> there's only five bedrooms. Anyway, expensive right. real estate. All right, what do you have? Okay, so at the age of 53, Paul Lazenby is heading to the Canadian Powerlifting Championships next month. I'm actually exceeding the lifts that I was putting in half my life ago. Heavy lifting has been his life. When he isn't doing this, he's a professional stuntman. And later, an almost 100-year-old war veteran gets a special pre-birthday surprise. (laughs) I don't know. Our prayers must know what the marathon is. <laughs> so no, that's all I have in my head was the marathon. Today, today they had the women's triathlon and Bermuda won. I think it's really? the first time Bermuda's ever won a gold medal, yeah. Interesting. All right, go all ahead. Right. Was it Bermuda or the Bahamas? I think it was Bermuda. Okay, I'm looking it up. Okay, you look it up. Uh, it starts with a B. The uh, Canucks did some housekeeping today ahead of the start of free agency on Wednesday by sending seven players qualifying offers to retain their rights. Right now, the Canucks have about $21.3 million in salary cap, a little bit less. Uh, the names are not surprising. It includes two of the uh, players they traded for recently, Connor Garland. He's going to need a new deal. Jason Dickinson as well, whom they got from the Stars. So those top four guys are going to eat up a lot of that 21.3, and that's why the Canucks are trying to move Holpe or Schmidt or both. All right. The uh, BC Lions have decided who their backup quarterback will be this season. And in a surprise, it won't be veteran Will Arndt. Instead, the Lions' second-round draft pick from a couple of years ago, uh, Nathan Rourke, has won the job. Number 13, Michael Riley, followed by number 12, Nathan Rourke. That is the Lions' depth chart at quarterback this year. And what's unique about Rourke is not only is he a rookie, he's also a Canadian. And in the CFL, a Canadian quarterback is as rare as a white moose. And making the decision with a week to go in camp was a bit of a surprise, even for Rourke. I mean, it was obviously great news and um, something that I had uh, planned or at least had set a goal to, to, to get to at the beginning of training camp. And 
um, it's pretty cool to, to get that done. One of the big reasons to make the announcement of Rourke being the understudy now is the Lions have no exhibition games to figure out who should be where. So they want their key guys to only have to worry about getting ready for the regular season in the final week of training camp. We're trying to um, get to a point with the playbook on offense, defense, and special teams where guys can play fast. You know, where there's as little thinking as possible because, you know, playing a game for real, like I said, in 11 days, I believe. Did you watch the judo? I missed judo. I well, was Jessica, Jessica Klimkate of Ontario won a bronze medal. First ever women's medal in judo for us. So that's good. And, of course, yesterday, London, Ontario's Maggie McNeil became our first gold at this year's Olympic Games, winning the 100-meter butterfly. It's always good to see the Canadian flag on top of the others. Uh, men's 4-100 relay team, led by 37-year-old Brent Hayden of Mission. They swam a great race, but they just missed catching Australia for the bronze medal. But in this race, they set a new Canadian record. You probably have seen Paul Lazenby's work, but not realize that he's been a stuntman for 21 years. But he's done more than just that. He's always been involved in something that requires courage and strength, such as combat, sports, and even powerlifting. Let's go, man. It's, it, it's almost like a religion. I, I can't not be in here training. Paul Lazenby has been carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders for a while now. And not just because he's training hard and lifting heavy for the upcoming Canadian powerlifting championships. Oh, yeah, As you can see, Paul's more than up for the task. I felt easy. look shaky at all, man. I felt easy. <laughs> 30 years ago, I entered the Canadian Junior Powerlifting Championships and uh, took a silver medal. And it has haunted me for the last three decades that I didn't have a gold medal in powerlifting. So I'm going to circle back around and try to get a master's record, or a master's championship. Ah! Haunted, but also driven. At 53 years old, Lazenby's stronger and lifting heavier than he did decades ago. Deadlift is the one that's been fighting me a bit. I'm, I'm in the mid 500s somewhere right now. Bench press, I've done 408. The current world record for my age in weight group is 584 pounds. I'm repping that here, and I've done 622 in the gym here. So I'm expecting a good result on the platform. Dealing with the, the, the workload that he's dealt with and some of the setbacks along the way, the training targets have still been hit every single time. So I have no doubt he's going to achieve, and then some, because guys like him and I are kind of show-offs. We do well under pressure, sort of in the limelight. So he's going to go on that platform, and he's going to exceed uh, my expectation of him and his own expectation of himself. This is the other limelight Lazenby stars in. Paul's been a respected stuntman for years now. Week in and week out, he's both delivering and receiving on-screen punishment. So when a guy puts his body through this, you can see why weightlifting and strength training has become gospel to him. It's basically just become ingrained. Like, I can't not train. I've been doing it for so long. So it does dovetail with my work. I know that if I'm not fit, I don't work. If I don't keep muscle on my body, I'll break, and then I can't be a stuntman anymore. His A-type personality means a lengthy resume featuring the titles of stuntman, actor, professional wrestler, and Muay Thai fighter, just to name a few. Only thing missing is that long-sought-after gold medal. It really would be checking a very important box. I have to do this. Um, you know, I've won multiple Canadian titles in fighting sports, but it's always been in the back of my head, yeah, but you never got that powerlifting medal. I'm going to make it to the platform this year, and I'm, I'm going to get that gold medal. It, it would definitely be a, 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 a massive weight on and then off of my shoulders. Wow! Oh. 
Weightlifters never look like they're having fun uh, until they've actually lifted it, and then it's over. Then it's fun. You're saying Bermuda won their first gold Yes, today. I did. I was right, right? It was Bermuda? Bermuda. Okay, yeah. And the Philippines, speaking of weightlifting, also won their first gold in weightlifting. Excellent. All right, up next, a Second World War veteran gets a sky-high birthday surprise. A Second World War veteran about to celebrate a very special birthday got quite a surprise today from the Snowbirds. As Global Sarah Comedina reports, all it took was an email from his daughter. Chris Bellchamber may not get around like he used to, but his sense of humor still shines. Five thousand hours flying, mostly over the Atlantic. What more? He acts like it was no big deal, but it was. At just 21 years old, Bell Chamber became a bomber pilot for Britain in the Second World War. He turns 100 on Wednesday. His daughters are so proud. Joined the RCAF in 1951 and was in maritime patrol and uh, was also involved in the Cold War, going down to Cuba during the Cuban Missile Crisis, following Russian ships. Um, so he's, he's had a lot of excitement in his life. His family wanted to bring some of that excitement back. So one of his daughters sent an email to the Canadian Forces Snowbirds and something amazing happened. The Snowbirds just finished a show in Camrose and Monday started to fly to Cold Lake and made sure to fly over the Shepherd Care Centre in Millwoods. It takes your breath away a little bit. It's, it's a bit of a blessing. Like My sister just sent out an email and I went, oh, they're never going to do anything. And... Yeah, they said, yeah, sure. The Snowbirds also wished Bell Chamber a happy birthday on social media. Wonderful. That's about the best word I can use. It was just a few moments, but there was so much weight behind it. Bell Chamber caught COVID just before Christmas and was in the hospital for two months. His family didn't know if he would be here to mark the milestone. He said to us about 40 years ago, he says, I'm going to live to be 100. And when my dad puts his mind to something, it usually happens. It's a pity that... I can't see much anymore, and I can't hear much anymore, but here I am. Despite those challenges, Bell Chamber was still able to catch a glimpse of a flyby just for him. I could see four airplanes going by. It's terrific. Sarah Comedina, Global News. Oh, happy birthday to him. All right, uh, we got another silver. Yes, Kylie Moss got a silver, so that's five medals for us now. Uh, four of them in water. All right, final word on the weather, Christy. Sure, hot and sunny conditions on the way right throughout this week with the two hottest days for the interior, likely Friday and Saturday. Back to you guys. All right, I'm off for a week. We'll see you next what? week. What? What? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing to see here.